You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is Green and Gold History. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. Time now for a little Green and Gold History with our historian, David Feldman, joins us. Feldy, how are you? I'm hanging in, Townie. How are you? Uh, can't wait for baseball. I need baseball back because without baseball, uh, my life has completely changed. I, I, I've been telling people it's, I, I couldn't believe this. I, I miss keeping score. I'm such a baseball <laughs> nerd, right? Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Just to write down a simple six to three would be, would feel good right now, wouldn't it? No doubt. All right. So we're doing a top 10 once again, and this is about Billy Bean and moves that were successful. Yeah, so we're talking Billy Bean mid-season acquisitions uh, since his tenure, and who knows what kind of trade deadline they're even going to have this year if they get this 60 or 70 game, if they come to an agreement, if there's going to be a trade deadline or, or if there's anything like that. I mean, it's just really going to be a sprint. So looking back on full seasons, what Billy did mid-season to, to help his team out. Okay, we always start with the honorable mention. Yeah, so you know, for the most part, Billy always acquires guys when the team is going well. And he's always talked about that too, that when you're when you're the aggressor, when you target somebody, it's easier to make a deal, say in response to when you're trying to sell somebody off. Um, it's just easier. You know what you have, you know what you want. And the other situation when you're you're getting rid of a piece. You know, you're trying, you're bringing back minor leaguers, and there's just so many question marks with that. Um, but some of the good moves that he made uh, that really turned out well, these are some honorable mentions. Ron Gant in 2001 uh, became a very serviceable fourth outfielder for that team, only giving up a Robin Jennings. Uh, early in the 2002 season, getting John Mabry for Jeremy Giambi. This, this actually paid off huge, uh, especially down the stretch. And in 2004, after the Arthur Rhodes of the closer experiment failed miserably, he was able to acquire Octavio Dotel from Kansas City uh, for the 04 and 05 season. Neither one were playoff seasons, but again, a good pickup at Octavio Dotel. Yes, and he uh, with Edwin Jackson. How many? T- they have the record. How many teams have they played for? We got uh, Jackson's at 13. Dotel, I think, was at 12. I mean, just every team, every teammate, they've done the, you know, the six degrees and these guys had teammates and you can trace it all the way back to Babe Ruth pretty much. You know, I actually, and I talked to Edwin Jackson about this. I I said, I think it's pretty cool to live in all these different cities, to experience all these different people and communities. I mean, I understand playing for one team and getting a statue is great. I also think playing for 12, 13 different teams, living in all these different American cities, I think that's a great experience. Yeah, it's a pretty good way to live. And, and the other, you know, the positive about it, too, is you always want it, right? Teams always want you because you're a good person. You're, you're a fine athlete. 
right? You're, you're an effective pitcher, but you're a good person, and we want you on our team. And, and we'll talk a little bit about Edwin Jackson in the A's in 2018. And, I mean, he was a big part of the success of that team. And, yeah, getting to see all these different teams, different teammates, different clubs, pretty cool life experience. All right, let's start with number 10. Number 10, we'll go back to July 28, 2000. This is an underrated one. And this is picking up Jim Messier from the Tampa Bay Rays. Maybe at that time, they were the Devil Rays. Uh, it was Jim Messier and Todd Bielitz for Jesus Colome. You know, Messier was an effective middle reliever uh, up to this point, you know, with Mariners, Yankees, uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, but he became a real mainstay in the A's bullpen for the next five years after this deal. Uh, you're talking about teams that won the division, went to the postseason, and Jim Messier was a big reason for that. So, again, it's making a trade for a guy that you can keep. Um, and they gave up Jesus Colome, who was a hard-throwing right-handed reliever. Um, they liked him, but at this point, Messier was a much more developed pitcher. And Colome went on to have a nice 10-year career, uh, but not with the success that Jim Messier had with the A's. So that's an A-plus deal for the A's, getting Jim Messier. I miss my, my, my devil rays, Wade Boggs, Fred McGriff, Jose Canseco, the good old days. Yeah. With those, those funky uniforms. I remember when they first started, this is the first season, right? Uh, 1998 Tampa Bay devil rays. And all of a sudden they're doing this day in devil ray history. What? <laughs> there is no this day in devil ray history. This is the first year. How are you having this day? <laughs> That is funny, and the trop having been there, it is awful. Like I like I I now know why people don't go to games. It's terrible. It's tough, but if you go out to center field and pet the devil ray, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I did that. I cool. Yeah, that. Well, and you know what, St. Petersburg is basically. I mean, it's where people go to retire. It's a nice little town on the water, but. I mean, it's a retirement community, and everybody there says, well, if the team was in Tampa, they'd sell out because hockey sells out. The Buccaneers do well. It's like, get that team to Tampa. Yeah, I know they've tried. They've tried to build a new ballpark on either side of the bay, and they need it because the Trav is just it's not conducive for, for a long term for baseball. All right, number nine. Number nine, another deal that was made that paid off in the following year, and this was Jay Payton. Acquired from the Red Sox at the All-Star break in 2005 for Chad Bradford. And on the same day, on the same All-Star break, basically, the A's also acquired Joe Kennedy and Jay Witasik from Colorado for Eric Burns and Omar Quintanilla. Uh, and the A's in 2005, like normal, got off to a slow start, but they, they heated up right before the break. They won 13 of, of 16 going into the All-Star break. But the outfield was a little bit of a mess. Jay Payton comes in. He was unhappy in Boston. He was basically a fourth outfielder. Uh, they bring him in, becomes the everyday left fielder. He's also got an option for the next year that the A's were able to pick up. So, again, you picked him up in 05, but he's going to pay off in 06. Uh, and the 05 team, I mean, they were tied for first place as late as September 15th. They won 88 games, but missed out on the playoffs. But then in the 2016, Jay Payton is a huge part playing all three outfield positions. 51 games in left, 44 in center, 41 in right, hits 296, a stabilizing force in the lineup, uh, an AL West winning season, and Jay Payton, acquired in 2005, pays off huge in 2006. You know, I don't understand it. it it's kind of crazy. 
But under Billy Bean, it doesn't matter which manager, which players, why do they always get off to slow starts and then get hot? The humans have changed over time, but yet the script stays the same. It's crazy. It is. And even, you know, looking back at the last two years, especially now talking about a 60-game season, you know, you go, okay, last year, how did they do over the first 60 games? They did, they were 500, right? 30 and 30. Uh, the year before that, a wild card year, 97 win year. How were they? 31 and 29. It's just they, they struggle out of the gate. I wish there was a reason for it. And maybe it's just as chemistry builds, a lot of times the A's have new players or younger players getting their feet wet. Maybe it just takes time. But you starting with, you know, those 2000, 2001 team, it was all about the second half. And I wish, and I know, especially if this is going to be a sprint of a season, the A's want to figure out a way to get off to a hot start because there's been no answer so far. All righty, number eight. Number eight, this is another under-the-radar one. Um, and it was basically uh, one where Billy traded for basically a rental player, knowing he wasn't going to have him for the, the next year. But on August 20th, 2012, the A's acquired Stephen Drew from Arizona for Sean Jamison. Uh, the A's needed a shortstop in 2012. They actually needed a shortstop and a second baseman. I mean, they were getting nothing out of Jamal Weeks and Cliff Pennington. Uh, and at this point, at the time of the trade, shortstops for the A's had hit 187 with a 252 on base percentage. Uh, just nothing. That was mostly Pennington, a little Adam Rosales, Andy Perino, but it, it was nothing. So they needed a shortstop. And the rumors were going about Hanley Ramirez, you know, Escobar were mentioned. But Stephen Drew was coming off this ankle injury, right? In 2011, he broke his ankle sliding in the plate. And if you watch the YouTube video, it is hard to watch. It, it just turns. Uh, but he made his way back. Uh, he wasn't having a great year with the Diamondbacks. But Bob Melvin knew him well. because Bob Melvin managed him when he was having his best seasons with the Diamondbacks. And he came over, and he did a really good job, again, stabilizing that shortstop position and – moving Pennington to second. And Pennington has basically a 180. Here he is hitting 194 as a shortstop. He had 276 as a second baseman. Drew hit 250 with five homers and five doubles, giving the A's offensive production. And he was solid defensively. So, again, a little under the radar, kind of a forgettable player who's only there for you know a month and change. But Stephen Drew, that was a really good pickup in 2012. Do you remember when Jamile Weeks was the only untouchable player on the A's roster? Only untouchable. He was on the cover of the A's pocket schedule. He was going to be there, you know, the cover of the media guide. He had hit 300 as a rookie. It was all about Jamile Weeks. Then he hits two homers in the first two weeks of the season, and it screwed up his swing for pretty much the rest of his career. Number seven. Number seven is Ray Durham. On July 25th, 2002, Acquired from the White Sox for reliever John Adkins. And it's another situation where the A's picking up basically a rental, knowing that Durham was going to be a free agent. But this is a guy with a high on base percentage, a lot of stolen bases, sneaky power, and he was an okay defender. Now, Mark Ellis was leading off playing second base for the A's as a a rookie. Uh, And they knew they loved his defense, but they weren't sure about him as a leadoff hitter. And at the time, David Justice was the DH and John Mavery was in left field. But bringing over Durham, switch hitter, they pretty much put him at the number one spot as the DH and Justice took over in left field. And Durham was just solid for the rest of that season. And that's when the A's got hot. 
Uh, they went from three games out, got the Mariners and the Angels. They win 23 out of 24, including their 20-game win streak. Uh, what's funny, if people forget about, after that, that great stretch, the A's only had a three-game lead over the Angels. And the Angels actually took over first place with 11 games left. The A's were a game behind. They had to go 9-2 and two down the stretch. And Ray Durham was, a, was a, again, a big part of solidifying an offense, and that's a good sign of Billy finding a need. Maybe not the perfect player. I mean, they had a second baseman. But to put him at the DH position, a switch hitter who could bat lead off, just a perfect fit at the perfect time for the A's. Number six. All right, this is the one that uh, – this one has a lot of caveats going for it. Um, because people forget about it. But on July 5th, 2014, the A's acquired Jeff Samarja and Jason Hamill from the, from the Cubs for Dan Straley, Addison Russell, and Billy McKinney. And this was such an important trade because the A's in that first week of July, they're the best team in baseball. But the starting pitching staff, not solid. Top two guys, Sonny Gray, Scott Kazmir, yeah, all-stars. But then you had Jesse Chavez, Tommy Malone, and Drew Pomerantz. And now Drew Pomerantz breaks his right hand punching a chair. So he's on the DL. He's out. He's replaced by, you know, veteran pitcher Brad Mills. That's no, no answer. So to bring these two guys in, Hamels are having one of the best years of his career. And Samarja, who the record was only 2-7, and seven, but he had 2.83 ERA. And this is, this is a steal. And I'm all for, and I've always been this way, trading prospects for known major league players. Right? And that's what this was. You're giving up Addison Russell, and we knew he was going to be okay, and Billy McKinney, high ceiling. But you're getting really you know, developed starting pitching in Hamill and Samarja. Uh, Samarja was very good for the A's down the stretch. Uh, Hamill, not so much. Uh, Hamill had a couple really bad starts right, off the, uh, right, right when he started his, his career. And that was a shame because it gave everybody kind of a bad taste in the mouth about him. He had some good starts later in September. Um, but if the A's had just stopped there with the acquisition of Samarja and Hamill, I think they would have been fine. It was later, you know, at the end of the month is when they did the Cespedes trade. And, and we've talked about this before, and it was just the dominoes that fell because of this Cespedes trade. Because think about it. Um, and this was 2014. 2014 team had the six All-Stars plus Samarja. They were all coming back for 2015. Right, all the All Stars are coming back, plus Josh Reddick and Coco Chris and Stephen Vogt to join Gray, Casimir, Samarja, Pomeranz, Cespedes, Donaldson, Norris, Moss, Doolittle. You don't think that 2015 could have competed with all those players, right? I mean, this is a the Rangers won the West in 2015, winning 88 games. The A's are going to compete if they bring all these players back, but the Cespedes trade started these dominoes falling, uh, getting rid of everybody. Uh, if they just stopped with Samarja and Hamill, I think they would have been fine. And if I remember correctly, Samarja was an all-star. So that gave the A's, what, six all-stars that year in 2014? Seven total. Seven. And Samarja, he sat, he was a National League all-star, but he's now been traded, so he had to sit at the all-star game in the American League dugout, right? Yeah, it was so awkward. He was, it, was just, it just didn't seem right. But just, I mean, this was such a good trade because you had Samarja was under control for the next year. 
you get a legitimate top of the rotation starter. Ah, ah, the frustration of what happened after that. But Samarja leads to Marcus Simeon. Yes, it does. And that was the one thing they wouldn't have had in 2015. They needed a shortstop. Uh, Jed Lowry was a free agent. And he was going to leave. Um, so, yes, it did lead to, to uh, Marcus Simeon, which was one positive. But I would have loved to see everybody come back for 2015. That cast of characters uh, have another run at it. I thought, I think it would have been a spectacular team. I mean, they had Cespedes for another year. They had Donaldson. They, they had these guys under control. Wow. And that was the, the Smarja trade. What was that? That was, it was Simeon, Bassett, and Fegley, right? Correct. All right. Number five. Number five, just last year. And this is kind of July of 2019. Uh, again, the A starting rotation was having some struggles. Uh, Frankie Montas had been suspended. Uh, Tanner Anderson was in the rotation, but he, he wasn't very good. Uh, so they go out July 14th. They get Homer Bailey. Uh, July 27th, they get a reliever in Jake Diekman. And on July 31st, they get Tanner Roark. And, and these were just really smart acquisitions to fortify this starting staff. Uh, Homer Bailey, who had you know, he'd struggled in 2018 with the Reds, pitching with the Royals in 2019. Uh, he's starting to come back. He was very good with the A's. And again, the Dodgers were basically paying the whole Homer Bailey contract. So that was pretty much free. And Tanner Roark, wasn't making a lot of money, a durable starter uh, you know, all along his career, came with the A's, went four and three in his 10 starts. Uh, these were really smart pickups to, to lead to a 97-win season. Uh, Cody just reminded me, uh, Cody, what, 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 what's his favorite place? Where, where's his favorite place to eat? Tanner Roark, big fan of Arby's, which is very hard to find in the Bay Area. And, and we, told, we, hey, we told him because, you know, Cody and I, Cody lives like less than three miles from me. We we've got Arby's down here in the South Bay, Feldy. We we told them, hey, you come down here, we'll we'll take care of you. Well, they have the meats. And you know what? That that beef and cheddar sandwich is phenomenal. It, <laughs> it, it, it is. All right, number four. Number four, and this guy was just in the paper this week. Uh, Susan Slusser wrote a, an article about him. That's Jose Guillen in two thousand three, on July thirtieth, two thousand three, right near the trade deadline. Acquired from the Reds for Aaron Harang, Joe Valentine, and Jeff Bursk. Uh, in 2003, the A's outfield was a mess. I mean, they were solid in the infield. Chavez, Tejada, Ellis, Hatterberg, uh, Ramon Hernandez behind the plate, DeRozzo's your DH. Uh, but the outfield is just a mess. Jermaine Dye was hurt, and when he did play, he was just struggling. He had Billy McMillan, Eric Burns, Chris Singleton, Terrence Long. Uh, but getting Jose Guillen, who was having the best power uh, of his career for the Reds, again, it just solidified this outfield. Now, on August 15th of 2003, the A's were five games behind the Mariners. And that's five games back with a month and a half to play. But they settled on an outfield, Terrence Long in left, Singleton in center, Guillen in right, and win 14 of their next 16. And by the time that streak's done, they're leading the West by two games over Seattle. Uh, and Guillen, Big bat, solidifies the outfield, everything's good. Now, September 14th, he breaks his hammock bone in his left hand on a swing in Texas. And as we know from just Matt Olson last year, that's normally a six to eight week recovery after surgery. Well, there's not, there's, you know, there's two weeks left. There's not enough time. And plus, the playoffs are coming. He decides to just play 
through the pain, all about pain management. Uh, takes a week off, and then he comes back. And in the playoffs against Boston, he hits 455 with a double. He had three walks, a force. Uh, hats off to Jose Guillen, paying through the pain, playing through the pain. Because I just see, you know, Olsen, how tough he is. And he yeah. talked about how much it hurt. Uh, to play through it and play effectively, just what a key pickup, Jose Guillen. Yeah, I remember that. And it was like, because we had never even heard of a hammock bone until Jose Canseco broke it, right? You know, there's like, 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 like Babe Ruth didn't know what what an oblique was. It's like funny, (laughs) like all of a sudden, like in the 90s, we started hearing about uh, these injuries and we're like, I don't even heard of that. The hammock bone. Yeah. When he played through that, that was like, that was like my, my, I, I tip my cap to you because that was, that was truly impressive. Yeah, and it's just such leadership, too, because if anybody else was going to complain about any aches and pains, forget about it. This guy's out there playing with a broken hand, basically. Number three. Number three is uh, July, August of 2018, and Billy basically remakes – Billy and David Forst, they, need, they remake the bullpen. And this is, you know, the 2018, it was all patchwork starters the entire year. Just here, here we got a guy. But the bullpen, and the A's knew they were going to need to, to fortify the bullpen to make this work. And it starts with Juris Familia from the Mets. And then they got Sean Kelly. They picked up a starter and Mike Fires, And then they get Fernando Rodney from the Twins. And this all happened from July 21st to August 9th. And so you're taking, in the bullpen alone, Familia, Kelly, and Rodney. And they're replacing the likes of Santiago Garcia, Brian Dole, J.B. Wendelkin, Chris Hatcher. Much improvement and bringing Mike Fires into the rotation. Huge improvement, as we know how good Fires was. Because you look at that bullpen, I mean, Trinan's having the unbelievable year. But Lou Trevino was starting to slow down at this point, and they knew they needed help. Um, you know, the A's go into the rotation in September, and it's Edwin Jackson, Trevor Cahill, and Mike Fires. And then they called up Leon Hendricks to be the opener, who basically started every third day. Right, and he's piggybacking with either Migden or, or Chris Bassett. Um, but the bullpen was so good. And that afforded them to go with starters who might not take you deep in the games because you can shorten the game. Get to the sixth inning, we have the arms now who can really compete. That was a really good decision by the A's to just pick up every strong bullpen arm they could. They even picked up Corey Guerin right on August 31st. It really didn't pay off, but they knew that's how they were going to win games with bullpen arms and they, they got the guys to do it. No doubt about it. And, and uh, what, 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 what would they do in the wild card game at Yankee stadium? Yeah. You know, except for the first two batters, they actually pitched really well. And until Fernando Rodney came in, but otherwise <laughs> it went okay. <laughs> Number two. Number two. And, and this is a great trade. And this is another, situation where the A's, they targeted their need and did whatever it take, whatever it took to get them. And that was Jermaine Dye on July 25th, 2001. And this is a three-team trade that, that Billy helped orchestrate with the A's acquiring Jermaine Dye, the Royals getting Nafi Perez, and then Colorado basically taking the A's, Mario Encarnacion, Jose Ortiz, and Todd Buick. Um, Jermaine Dye, you know, was a legitimate power hitter. Right. At the time, the A's are seven games above 500, so they're having a good year, but they're 18 games behind the Mariners. They're having an unbelievable year. And the A's were five games out of the wild card race. 
But after this trade, the A's go 48 and 13 in 2001, the best in baseball. They won the wild card by 17 games. They made up 22 games on the wild card. Um, you know, before the trade, it was Billy McMillan and Ron Gant in left field, Damon in center, Terrence Long in right. But after the trade, solid, long left, Damon center, die right. Die has a great last 61 games. It's 297. And he actually signs an extension. This is even after breaking his leg in the playoff. He signs a three-year extension for $32 million. And that was huge money given out for the A's at that time. Three-year, $32 million extension. Um, Jermaine Dye just paid off, and that's targeting. You, you gave up something, right? Mario Canacion, Jose Ortiz, legitimate prospects. who both played in the majors, not for very long, but top prospects for a guy who was a known quantity who just awesome in that lineup. Chavez, Giambi, Jermaine Dye, Tejada, awesome. When's the last time the uh, Seattle Mariners have been in the playoffs? Yeah, it's been quite a while. That was the last year, <laughs> 2001. <laughs> I mean, wow. You want to talk about a drought, and they're not going to be going to the playoffs anytime soon. It's now time for number one. So number one is July 1999. And this these were the trades that set the table for the A's run of success in the early 2000s. Uh, the A's in July of 1999, they're hovering around 500. Um, Texas is good. Seattle and Angels are all bunched together. Uh, the A's, the first trade they make, it looks like they're selling off. Right? They trade Kenny Rogers to the Mets for Terrence Long. And you think, what are they doing? Why are they getting rid of Kenny Rogers? Well, Kenny Rogers is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And now they got a player who could be the center fielder of the future. That was on July 23rd. A week later, now it starts. He, Billy acquires Omar Olivares and Randy Velarde from the Angels, giving up Jeff Devanin, Nathan Haynes, and Elvin Nina. Uh, two days later, Kevin Apier from the Royals for Brad Rigby, Blake Stein, and Jeff D'Amico. That same day, he, require, he acquires Jason Isringhausen and Greg McMichael from the Mets for Billy Taylor. I mean, so you're talking, these are all big parts of the 2008 that you get in July of 99. 99, the A's actually stay in the race until the last 10 days. They finished with 87 wins. But now the table's set. you got two starting pitchers. You've got your closer. You've got your center fielder. This was awesome. It reshaped the whole franchise. I mean, as this franchise was down, you know, after basically the 92 season. Uh, the, the Haas family sells the team. Tony LaRusso leaves. Uh, Art Howe's now the manager. Billy Bean takes over the general manager. And this really, I thought, stamped it as Billy's franchise. All these moves, and it pays off with four straight tips, trips to the playoffs for the next four years. You know, God, who, what, uh, who were the three guys? It was Isringhausen, uh, Pulsifer, and who was the other guy? They were the, Paul they were, Wilson. Paul Wilson. Yeah, they were the, the three young aces. Generation K, I think, was their nickname. And Israel has an independent, you know, we, we had him on the, uh, we had him on the program last season when he went into the uh, Cardinals hall of fame. I mean, he ended up having a pretty good career as a closer. A terrific career. And you know, he, he, when he joined the A's, um, the A's put him in the bullpen and he went eight for eight and saves down the stretch. And they knew they had something. Uh, I think for, for a player like Israel, I was going to go to the Mets with such fanfare in New York where everything's riding on you. Right. You and your buddies, Hulsifer and Wilson, are going to lead them back to their glory days. Uh, 
And Israel, then he liked to get after it a little bit. And so New York wasn't the perfect place for him. But to come to Oakland, reset, take a breath, uh, and find the right role, this pays off hugely for Jason Isringhausen. And, and key, 2000, 2001, the success of the A's, a lot of it had to do with the, the bullpen and the closing of Isringhausen. You know, once we get, we, we are going to have a season. And once we get this thing going, what do you think it's going to be like managing and the moves, the front office for, let's say, something around 60 something games? What do you think that's going to be like? So it's going to be a little different because every game takes on much more importance. Um, it's almost like a football season. You know, you can't afford a loss. You have to win every game you can. There's just there's just not enough games to make up for any mistakes. So I think you're going to see some more moves, and I think it's going to play off in roster uh, makeup, uh, where a guy like uh, Mateo has a much bigger role now as a speed guy, because right? you could steal a run late in the game if you're trying to get a win. I mean, the old Herb Washington, the pinch runner. Well, you need a guy like that now because you need to be able to force the action a little bit more because every game is so important. It's much more playoff-style managing. Um, you're not going to have as much a long leash with your starters. You're not going to let them work out of it. You, you can't afford to. You've got to make moves, and you've got to you got to get the best players out there. And, and the A's are in a good position with depth, right? This time, this, you know, this three months that they haven't played, some of the, the minor injuries that they had that might have delayed some starters, well, those things have healed up now, so they have some depth, and you just got to go after it. I think roster makeup and, and strategy, it's going to be a little different. All right, let's go over the top 10. All right, top 10, Billy Bean and David Forrest, midseason acquisitions. Uh, number 10 was Jim Messier in July of 2000. Number nine, Jay Payton, 2005 All-Star break. Number eight, Stephen Drew, August of 2012. Number seven, Ray Durham. July of 2002. Number six, six, Samarja and Hamill, July 5th, 2014. July 5th, or number five, is July of 2019, getting Bailey, Diekman, and Roark. Number four was Jose Guillen in July of 2003. Number three was the bullpen makeover, July, August of 2018, Familia, Kelly, Fernando Rodney, plus Mike Byers. Number two, Jermaine Dye. July 25th, 2001. And the number one was the team makeover in July of 1999, getting Terrence Long, Omar Oliveris, Randy Velarde, Kevin Apier, and Jason Isringhausen. Another great top 10. You've been listening to Green and Gold History right here on A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.